We have a testimony of a healing here, so, Fran. Thank you. Um, thank you. All right, I'm Fran Barber. I've been dealing with a um, shoulder that needed a replacement for 15 years or so. Haven't been able to lift it. Now it's up and it's not paining me. And thank you, God. You're amazing, amazing, amazing. Thank you, Jesus. You are just amazing. It happened. I began, to, she was feeling heat, and I began shaking and couldn't stop. And in a few seconds, I noticed that my shoulder was better. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, go back to praying for people. And anybody else that gets healed, just, you know, make sure you tell us. Um, so we're going to uh, wrap up here in uh, this session by just doing a little bit of a, a Q&A, Q&R, Q&A, that is, Q, you know, you know, but Q&R, questions and responses, because sometimes there aren't answers. Um, there's just thoughts. So what we want to do is, uh, on any of the stuff we've talked about, not just this last session, if you have any thoughts, comments, questions uh, that you'd like to pose, happy to do it. Um, here's the deal. Keep it short. Okay? Anybody have any thoughts, comments, questions they wanted to ask that we can sort of help you with? F frame a question. Don't start talking and then figure out what your point is. Uh, just fr frame a very quick question. We, we can help with that. So what are your thoughts on self-deliverance? Uh, the answer to that question first is most of the times that's not the way it works. Most of the times the way it works is in community. Again, Matthew chapter 10, he told them, gave them authority, cast out demons. Um, honestly, I get this question every single time I teach deliverance without exception. And what I would say to you, most of the times it's a shame-based question. Mm -hmm. And the reality is the reason why he doesn't do a lot of self-deliverance is because what you need is you need to face the issues that you have shame over, and you're going to only get breakthrough on that in community. You're never going to get it by doing it by yourself. And so that's why he doesn't. The only exception to where I feel like sometimes Jesus does deliverance on people in an encounter with them, the exception to it is when they're involved in a church that doesn't do deliverance, and they're utterly desperate to get free. And they are pursuing him, and he encounters them, and he basically does a deliverance. It's not, it's not unlike trying to do uh, self-therapy. You know, it's sort of like, I'm schizophrenic, and so am I. Um, it's, a f again, a few of you like that a little too much. Yeah. It's, it's hard for objectivity is, is part of it. You know, you don't ask yourself, is there anything else? Yeah. Good question, though. We get it all the time. Yeah, go ahead. So you were, you were praying to be delivered of something, and it didn't happen in the moment, but a couple weeks later it happened. Is it a real question or a theoretical one? Sure. God well, can do most of the answers wants. to can it happen is sure, sort of. So if we can, let's do actual ones more than theoretical ones. So the answer, though, is, yeah, can. I mean, it's possible. Sure. It is possible. And sometimes you had an encounter with God, and, you, you know, you got set free. Yeah, sure. It happens. Okay. At what age would you uh, start steps with the child, and how would that differ from the way you do it with an adult? 
deliverance steps, inner healing, what? What are you referring to in specific? Uh, well, to I, I'll, I'll let Rob respond to this because uh, when, whenever, whenever I get asked about children, I always send them to him. He, he's way better with kids than me. I'm a little scarier. So um, two responses, I guess. First one is, uh, you know, sometimes the issue is one of self-awareness. So, you know, when it comes to the healing of the soul or deliverance or whatever, <clears throat> you know, you can never rise above your level of self-awareness. Think of your soul for a second like a three-story house, right? If the light of God, because of self-awareness and other things, has only penetrated the first floor, whatever's down there on levels two and three can't be accessed. And so, you know, this is why light's a gift. It's not an intrusion. When the Holy Spirit shines that light into the suitcase, my only proper response is, yes, Lord. What you'll end up happening is this. As you grow older, you will discover that, uh, you know, there's all of a sudden it feels like, hey, man, I got this whole level of the suitcase all cleaned out. I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling free. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks in and he just takes a little zipper and he goes, zoot, zoot, zoot. He peels back and there's a whole nother layer down there. And he's like, whoop, let's shine light on that one. You're like, oh, man. So you see, when you're 40, you get to go places that you can't go when you're 15. And so what I would say is it's okay to teach them the principles as discipleship tools that they need to access and live into for the rest of their lives. It's not okay to teach them that this is an event that's going to heal their damaged places. No, that's not okay. So the principles of the care of the soul work sort of, I mean, probably eight, eight, nine, ten years old of just absolute honesty of, you know, con keep your confessions current. Forgive those who sin against you. Jesus play, can heal your wounds. Play blessings over people. These stuff are universal yeah. principles of a lifetime. When, when's the next time you don't need to confess sin? When you die and go to heaven. When's the day you don't need to forgive anybody anymore? When you die and go to heaven. Because in the meantime, you're going to sin and people are going to sin against you. And that means you're going to be wounded. So you're going to have to have more healing. Make sense? So you have to teach them as discipleship tools, then it's okay. Trusted relationships and no shame. Sure. Uh, lady came up to me one morning, got a baby in her arms, baby's writhing in her arms, and she said to me, hey, we're having something really weird happen in our house, you know, and, and it's like we got demonic activity, you know, she's kind of keeping it hush-hush, she doesn't want to say it out loud in church, you know, and she goes, we figured you could understand, yeah, I, I do, and so I said to her, um, and her husband's with her too, and I, I, he, she goes, he thought I, I was crazy, and, but last night, he heard the voices too, woke us up out of a sound sleep, audible voices in our house. I said, okay. I said, tell me about the house. And she goes, we had it built. I said, okay, it's not the house. I said, tell me about the neighborhood. You know, is there any Indian burial grounds, any talk of Indian places where they had, you know, sort of spiritual ceremonies or anything like that, any witchcraft in the community and stuff like that? No, none of that. I said, the whole time, this kid's writhing in her arms. I said, tell me about her. She was adopted. He goes, her mother was a prostitute. Father's in jail. I said, it's her. I said, demons are in her. I said, well, I'll pray for her right now. She's a baby. She's three months old. Laid my hand on her and said, come Holy Spirit. As soon as I prayed, she stopped crying. 
No more writhing. And I just, she looked me in the eyes and focused. And I said to her, now, all those demons associated with your parents are gone in Jesus' name. You leave. You can't have her. You have no ground in this kid whatsoever. I kicked him out and never heard another voice. Kid's been good, okay? Now, that's because it was a baby who had not chosen into any of it. Now, you're a teenager, and you've started to choose into some of this stuff. That's different. Now, I need your cooperation. I need access. I need all that stuff, right? Suitcase is now your suitcase. That baby, that's not her stuff. That's baggage she got handed. I can kick that stuff out easy. Well, by the time you get a teenager, you have some ownership issues now. I, I would focus at sort of 14, 15 and under. Oh, focus on discipleship, walking in the light, that kind of basic stuff. And then as it comes up, they, they can address it on their own. And when they're preteen, pray over them at night. Kick stuff out. If you know it's there, if you had stuff that got kicked out, you know, and you think it's generational, then go in and pray over them at night. No need to freak them out. Just pray over them and kick it out. And stop, stop blaming the in-laws. Well, although, although it's probably accurate. Well, sometimes, sometimes. Just, just thought I'd work you in a little bit. Yeah. Another question. I don't actually think that was physical healing. I actually think that had to do with persecution. And uh, I think it had to do with the attacks he was undergoing as apostle. If you look at the concept of the thorn in the flesh and you trace it back to the Old Testament, it had to do with a pain in your neck, a, a, you know, a modern euphemism. Uh, it had to do with someone who was attacking people. And if you look at Paul, he's constantly being attacked. And I think what Paul was begging the Lord for was a little peace in his life. And the Lord said, this... This one I'm going to leave. My grace is enough for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Truth is, Paul was being shaped by it, and the Lord wasn't ready to remove it. Um, personally, I don't believe it's the Lord's will for people to be sick. Okay? Um, I think that's part of the fall. Now, everybody I prayed for is not healed. So what do I do with that? I don't blame them. I don't blame me. I just go, I don't understand lots of things. But I don't really think that, generally speaking, the Lord is contributing sickness into people's souls or bodies. I just don't. He doesn't have sickness to give. He's a good God. When you get to heaven, there isn't going to be any sickness. When he formed the earth, there wasn't any sickness. He's not delivering sickness. It's a byproduct of the enemy, and it's a byproduct of sin. So I don't go to blame God for it. I deal with the fact that, you know, it was Satan who came to kill, steal, and destroy, and we're living in a sinful planet. And so we're in a battlefield. Let's do our best to battle. We were told to have you out of set time. We have two more questions. Time for two more if you want them. Um, anything that is an enemy of your soul. I mean, sometimes you are your own worst enemy. Um, sometimes it's other people in relationships. It's sometimes bad patterns that have been established, inherited in family structures, family of origin things. And there really is a very real, in the spiritual realms, spiritualities, there is a very real 
enemy of your soul. So it's not one or the other. We, we could probably give you, identify six, seven, eight different enemies of your soul. Um, yeah. Good question, though. Uh, I personally don't enjoy fasting, but I don't know that many people who do. <laughs> I have younger pastors and leaders sort of being a little whiny. Going, why, why is this still so hard? And I said, there's a reason why they're called spiritual disciplines. They're not called spiritual fun practices. Um, so we'll answer this in, t in two segments. One is it was just it's a, it's a regular discipline of the life in the spirit. It was a pattern of the early church. It was even before that. I mean, both testaments. If you sort of look at the people God used significantly, dramatically, memorably, both testaments and in the history of the church, they kind of all had patterns of fasting and praying. We've got to be careful that we don't turn that into behavioral responses. So if we fast, then we're really serious, and then God will take us more seriously. No, it's just it's clearing the way. So there's this clear pathway between your own heart and the heart of the Father. Yeah, notice in the New Testament, Jesus says, when you pray, when you give, when you fast, not if. Just a pattern. Yeah, so it becomes a regular pattern. It. Um, I, I will make it a parallel to, I, I, I end up doing lots of coaching with couples, families, but very often um, a couple. And I just say to them, um, what kind of pattern do you have in praying together? Well, most common, it's we kind of don't have one. It's okay, start one, start one immediately. Start it once or twice a week. Um, 60 to 90 seconds total. I always ask the guy to initiate. It, it's just because if the woman initiates, the resistance is often higher. In a couple, if the guy initiates, more women will respond well than if it's just the other way around. I said, here's, here's it's not magic, but just get started. And it's a simple of... I want to thank God for you. Um, maybe there's a reason, maybe there's not. And I just want to pray a word of blessing over you. And I always add, forgive me, I always add, and with an appropriate touch, no grabbing. You have to coach men. Um, and I said, that way, whenever something comes up in the future, you've got, you've got a foundation you can jump in and pray. And I hear it all the time. They go, man, that was, that was really great wisdom. Because when something did come up, it felt like we, we were set. We could just jump in. We had momentum. We, it wasn't starting from scratch and feeling awkward. The same was true with fasting and even fasting for deliverance or something tough. If you've got the patterns there, something big comes up, you're in the zone. The other thing I would add about deliverance and fasting is simply this. Again, don't miss this. Jesus isn't talking about magic, okay? So Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, he sends out the 12. He gave them authority 
to drive out demons. Please understand this is about authority. It's not about prayer and fasting. Matthew chapter 17, you know, you know by Luke's gospel that they go out, they cast out demons. Even the demons submit to us in your name, they say to Jesus, right? So they've had success. Get to Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Pete, Jim, and John are up on top of the mountain with him, and the knuckleheads are now numb below, and they can't cast out a demon. Jesus shows up, casts out the demon. They have a coaching session. Boss, what went wrong? In other words, we've done this before. This time we couldn't. Matthew's response. No, that's Mark's response. Mark's the one that says, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Matthew's response, because you have too little faith. Put the conversation together, and I think it sounds like this. Listen, scale of one to 10, you dealt with the threes and the fours. You had enough authority to deal with the threes and the fours. Authority is developmental in nature. This one was a six. You don't have enough authority to deal with this. Therefore, you need to pray and fast more, which will increase your intimacy, which will result in greater faith, and then you'll be able to deal with the big boys. Notice, Jesus neither prays nor fasts, he just kicks it out. Why? Because his authority is enough. It's always about authority. It is not about prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is a means to an end, not an end in itself. It is a means to increase intimacy, which increases authority, which then increases your capacity to deal with deliverance. Does that make sense? Even if it doesn't, it's biblical. And in this passage... I mean, he, I, this, this will serve as both wisdom and potential caution. Once we've done a few of these, the disciples had this. They thought, we know how to do this. We've cast out demons for We know how to do this. So you, you go with what you know. You go with your technique. You go with your approach. We get calls all the time. Hey, look, I've done deliverance. I'm, I'm stuck on this one. Because you're going with your approach. You've got to have a wisdom that only God gives. Hence, in fasting and prayer, your, your senses are just sharper. And he'll give you what you need. Because sometimes there is a small variation. Or actually hit it from this side, not this one. Okay, we're going to meet back here at 659.